anxiety. Okay. Uh, look. Uh, you got me thinking if it was really worth it. Putting in all of this effort just to end up blessed and perfect. But on our great defenses, something used for our protection. Or are they just another way to force out imperfections? I guess I'm just effective, pointed in the wrong direction. The library in my head is one fucked up selection. Now, children, pay attention and you'll receive attention. Cause after this, I'll ask you an array of questions. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the 40 Ounce Fridays podcast. This is episode 49. We are very, very, very close to that episode 50. I'm really excited for that, actually. that That's a lot done. And we got 50 episodes in after, like, less than, less than a year, right? Or just about a year. I think I started recording around June. I think that's around when, like, the first episode really started. But damn, dude, time flies. And <laughs> we're in the... Just about hitting the second half of 2020... And, um, well, I mean, technically, June is the end of the first half, because then you got July, August, September, October, November, December, so, you know, and you get what I'm saying. Um, the year continues <laughs> to be, uh, kind of trash, but good news is, for me at least, not trying to be an asshole or anything, but <laughs> I might f- actually have a place that I'll be moving to. I'll look up my roommates. I've been talking about that for the last few weeks. Um, we are anxiously waiting for uh, the little credit report checks to to finish up. But once those are cleared and good to go, uh, all we have to do from there is sign the rental agreement and boom, 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 we're done. <laughs> and we got, we got the place. So we're waiting for that. Uh, the thing is, I think for like the final part of the credit report, or like a different kind of credit report, because there were credit inquiries made for all three of us. We all got email notifications about it just to check our credit scores, and those went well, um, according to the, the guy, the landlord of the apartment. Uh, all of those went well, so that's good. Good to hear. Happy about that. But uh, there's another check that has to be checked manually. So they have to wait for it to be like, you know, sent in, but it's for, I think it's for smaller, minute, like details within your credit, like stuff like evictions and bankruptcies mainly and other things. But none of, none of the people I'm moving in with, nor myself have any bankruptcies or evictions. So (laughs) it's looking like we got it. Uh, I don't want to say we do until we do, you know what I'm saying? But it's it's looking there, so we're all... Well, I'm the main one patiently waiting, because I'm the main one in contact with the the landlord of the the building. So, we're all anxiously waiting to hear uh, back and see if everything's all cleared up. Because once that's cleared up, we'll be good to go. But, hold on, they're they're talking outside really loud. So we'll be good to go on that once... uh, everything is settled and cleared cleared up for for the credit checks uh i lost where i was what i was talking about because i was waiting for them to stop talking uh sorry about that but hopefully that'll be a thing to avoid too because the place where i'm moving to it's gonna be two bed two bath um it's me and uh two other friends they're gonna have a room 
and then I'll have a room because uh, hopefully at some point down the line my girlfriend will be moving in so then she'll just have the room with me but the room I'm looking at it does have a, a walk-in closet next to the bathroom but it also has a regular closet so I don't have a lot of stuff that I'll probably need to put in my closet besides my clothes you know my hamper and my little uh, drawers for my socks and t-shirts underwear stuff like that so I can use that for that but the walk-in closet I'm thinking I can use to record it so that'd be cool if I could do that uh, you know have a table some chairs you know I it should have an outlet in it or some kind of light source if not I'll probably just have to get an extension cord I mean cuz I also got to think about ventilation it'll probably be hot as fuck if I'm just sitting in there for long periods of time so I might just have to leave it cracked or try to get one of those fans that hums really quiet you know things of that nature to figure it out but I I was like oh I can use it for like a little studio space to record the podcast uh, other video recording stuff in terms of audio for for things of that nature without having to worry about too much outside noise that way I don't get too many interruptions I don't keep having to pause and cut things um, for the sake of that but we'll see when we get there um, like I said it's not set in stone yet so we're just playing the waiting game um, I looked it up this can take from like anywhere between a couple of minutes to a few days they said so I was just like oof big oof <laughs> so hopefully it doesn't take too long because they even said like a couple of days like 10 days even so I, I we're, we're definitely not trying to wait that long we're trying to uh, move as soon as possible and I'm mostly packed like the only stuff I have out is stuff that I'm still actively using like the game consoles you know my uh, TV I could probably put one I have like two I have like another monitor that I use for like secondary stuff my main monitor is where I have my switch set up my brother has the PlayStation set up on his TV so I use the other monitor for the Xbox whenever I'm using the Xbox I could probably put that away but I'm probably not packing that uh, we're getting a, a friend's van our friend's mom's van was offered so I could probably put the TV in there and just carry it over after that but in terms of like stuff I need to pack it's mostly done the only things left are like a few other clothes so I just I did laundry recently so I think what I'm going to do is uh you know just separate like a few shirts that I can wear because I I work like five six days a week so I'm not usually wearing stuff out especially during quarantine so I can pack most of my clothes and just have like a couple of shirts that I'll wear and then wash every you know now and then when they need to be and of course you know underwear socks shit like that will still be out but for the most part everything's packed up um, and then I gotta take my futon apart so I can bring it when it's brought but I'm excited I'll keep you guys posted on that because uh, we're really fucking anxious <laughs> but um Today, it should be the title, as of recording this, it is Wednesday, June 10th, so this will be going up on the 12th. Yeah, Friday is the 12th. Uh, but you should see from the title, I should have made it the title and also like the cover image of this episode for the podcast, we will be talking about why I believe Goku isn't a bad dad. 
Um, stupid subject, I know, but fuck you, this is my podcast, so I'll talk about whatever I feel like. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about it is because the memes are funny. You know, the Goku is a bad dad meme is funny. Piccolo's Goku or Gohan's real dad. Like, you know, those shits are jokes, but I feel like it's another one of those things that's so ingrained into the culture of not just like Dragon Ball, but uh, anime as a whole, just the anime community, that people take that really like literally. And they're just like, yeah, you know what? Goku isn't a bad father. And while I don't think he's a great father, I'm not saying he's like this bit, this fantastic, spectacular dad, because he's not. He's a thousand percent not. Um, He's not a bad dad either. He's just kind of sort of in the middle. And I would go as far as to say he really never had the time to be too much of one or the other. So the way I'm going to talk about it is we're going to be uh, discussing, you know, the series of Dragon Ball Z arc by arc. Just Dragon Ball Z. That's the main focus where, uh, you know, Goku first becomes a father in the series, really. So we're going to be talking. And that's the bulk. That's where most of this uh, debate comes from is from Dragon Ball Z, which is the, also the longest portion of the story between Dragon Ball Z and Super. Super still currently going on in the manga, but blah, 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 specific. So we'll be talking about that, breaking down, you know, each arc, each event, where Goku was, what he was doing, why he was doing it, the impact it had. And overall, why I don't believe Goku is a bad dad, or at least inherently not a bad dad, and there's reasons to defend him even having some great fatherly moments. So we'll we'll be talking about that. But we'll also be doing our UU retrospective because you know we just started a new arc. We are in the last uh, arc of season one, essentially, pretty much um, for all these spirit detective cases, like this bunch up of cases for the season one. We're finally at the end of them with the Yukina Rescue arc, AKA the Tarukide Stronghold arc, whatever you want to call it. Um, or Tarugade's compound, but, um, so we'll be starting off with episode 22, uh, yeah, episode 22, Lamenting Beauty, so that's what we'll be going over today, and, yeah, that's, that's it, so we're gonna get right into it with, uh, stuff, that was a longer intro than I expected, I kind of rambled on, I really want that apartment, that's why, I'm like, I hope we get it, dude, I'm like, really hoping, so everyone, fingers crossed, we'll see what happens, um, but few bits of quick news before we get it cracking. Uh, I just like to say once again that Pokemon Sword and Shield Isle of Armor will be coming out on June 17th. So that will be next week. That'll be next week, right? Because if Friday's the 12th, 13, 14, 15, 16. So that'll be out on next Wednesday. Oh, that's awesome, right? Next Wednesday. So I'll, I'll, I'll be off work that day which is great that means i can just get it cracking i will not be finishing fire Emblem before this but i i haven't been playing fire emblem as hardcore as i should have been to finish the blue lines path just because um moving stuff happening so i've been going through the motions of that trying to figure it out uh lots of anxiety <laughs> so i haven't really been in the mood for all of that uh sitting there and playing through that storyline but um I'll finish it still, but uh, Isle of Armor is just like a DLC expansion, so I'll try to, you know, make sure to make time for Fire Emblem before I start playing Pokemon in a day if I am going to sit down and play games all day, 
but the day it drops i'll probably start playing it who knows the story might be like short enough for me to finish it within that day i'll also be recording so maybe i'll talk about it a little bit if i play it beforehand we'll see how it goes but i'm excited for it if you're not excited for it again um perfectly fine you have the right to your own opinion but please stop attacking people for enjoying stuff you don't um i i love how there's so many i love how there's so many people now who just enjoy sword and shield and are excited for the expansion that don't talk any shit towards the people who don't like it not saying that that doesn't exist of course there's always going to be that portion of people that does that but for the most part i just see people that i see talking about sword and shield that like sword and shield do not mention or hate on the people that don't but the people that are still complaining about sword and shield after it's been out for like what seven months um seven eight months are still like going hard on people who enjoy the game it's like you fucking it's just like dude we get it you don't like the game okay be over it why are you still talking about a game you don't like months and months after its release move on get to the next thing get to something you enjoy but i will be talking about that on the podcast giving my thoughts on it uh is it worth the 30 well I mean, I can't say if it's worth the $30 yet because the $30 expansion comes with both Island uh, Isle of Armor and the Crown Tundra. And the Crown Tundra, I don't think, comes out until, like, November. So we'll be waiting a couple of months before that happens. But I'll still give my overall thoughts, so I think it's fun. And then once Crown Tundra comes out, I'll give my overall thoughts on that. And then we'll talk about if the overall expansion is worth the $30 price tag once we get to that point. But yeah, Isle of Armor, just catching you up on that, just shouting it out. Also, um, I know people don't talk about My Heroes 1 Justice 2 a lot, but I really do enjoy the game. I still play it every now and then, I still take in the time. I say every now and then because I'm not super competitive in fighting games, especially arena fighters. So... I, I hop between them, like, I've, I've been playing Storm here and there, I'll hop on Fighters every now and then, that's not an arena fighter, but I'm just saying, you know, my game collection, whenever I feel like having fun and dicking around on a fighting game based off anime characters, I, I, I rotate between them. So, you know, I was playing Runs Justice. Uh, just letting you guys know, if you are a fan of One Justice 2, and you didn't know, my boy, uh, Hawks, that's right, the number two hero himself, was announced as the first DLC character for the season pass a couple of months back. We talked about that, but his release date has been announced. It got announced a couple of days ago. As of this recording, his release date is tomorrow. It is Thursday, June 11th. That's when Hawks will be released in One Justice 2. So I'm excited. Hopefully they do like that thing where they release the character at like 8 or 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time over here on the west coast that way uh i can get my hands on him tonight play as him a little bit because i'm kind of excited to do that if not then i'll just wait until i get home from work tomorrow and try him out see how he is he looks really fun and i i like hawks 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 abilities are really cool the things that he could do with his feathers he's not just a dude with big ass bird wings he could do a lot of stuff with his abilities so i'm interested to see how he's gonna work in the game especially considering like i said uh one of my heroes one of one justice two sh uh strengths is the fact that uh the character sorry i have my vibration on in case i get a notification from the landlord of that apartment so i, I just want to be aware of my phone so you'll hear vibrating sorry about that um one thing that plays in the one justice's two strength 
is uh, the characters are so unique with their quirks because everyone has a different quirk. Everyone has a different like superpower pretty much. And they incorporate that very well into a character and its moveset. So you know their gimmicks, you know what they can do. And that's how you take advantage of a situation in battle. Because you can do these different moves with it. You can use your quirk to do such and such and such and such and chain different combos together. And it makes everyone feel really fun in their own way. And no one really feels the same. I've talked about it before. That's why I'm, ex that's why I'm always excited to see another DLC character. Because it's like, cool, another person that uniquely plays well. And the roster's pretty fat. I think I was counting, I counted the characters earlier. And if you count the season pass characters and don't count um, variations of characters, like Deku has two variations. He has, you know, his base form pretty much, which is when he first gets a uh, one for all. And uh, then he has a um, shoot style and then he has the 100% form. Overhaul has his normal form and then that form where he absorbed that dude and fucking became all disgusting and monstrous during the overhaul arc. And then Shigaraki has his initial outfit and then like the stuff after during the overhaul arc, he has a new moveset. They have variations. So not counting them and counting the DLC characters, it's a roster of 42 characters. So if you count the variations, it's a roster of 45 characters, which is pretty dope in my opinion. That's a pretty fat roster. So without the DLC characters, it's a roster of 40. So even then, it's just like, all right, bravo. It's a nice roster. Everyone plays very different. So not only is it a nice big roster for a fighting game, which most arena fighters do have, but each character feels unique and plays very differently. So you have variety and a bit of quality. I'm not going to say it's like, ooh, top tier quality because, you know, it's it's a decent game. But it's one of the better arena fighter, anime arena fighters out there nowadays. So if you still are on the fence about it, I say check it out. It might be discounted in stores right now. It probably is. I don't think it's sold super well just because the shadow that is One's Justice 1. But One's Justice 1, I guess, sold well enough to warrant a sequel. So maybe One's Justice 2 will as well. We'll see how it, what happens. Oh, one more thing. I was playing last night. And it had an update, and the update was like almost 2 gigs, it was like 1.8 gigs. I was like, why the fuck does this game need to update so hard? And so I was just scrolling on my phone, waiting for it to update. It finished, I heard the little, you know, dun, 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 like, like it was done. But I didn't start the game yet, because I was still busy looking at stuff on my phone, and I was reading something. So I was like, oh, I'll wait to play it for a few minutes. I don't know if it started on its own or if I pressed the button on my controller by mistake, but the game starts up, right? And I don't, I don't hear it starting up. It gets to the the, the intro screen, and when you get to the intro screen of the game, a random character in the game will be like, "My hero wins justice too," or something like that. You know, the game only has a Japanese voice cast, so that's usually what I expect to hear. Why did I jump up so fast when I heard someone? in perfect fucking English, <laughs> say My Heroes One Justice 2, and I was like, yo, what the hell was that? Who's talking? <laughs> and I sat up and the game had started. Not only that though, the update, it was getting ready for Hawks, because Hawks is about to come out, of course. You can see his character silhouette blacked out on the character selection screen now. But um, not only that, surprise, surprise, I don't know if they announced they were doing this or not, One Justice 2 now has full English voices. So you can 
select the English or the Japanese voices for One's Justice 2. It's a small thing, but it's a welcome thing because I know a lot of people way back when One's Justice 1 got announced didn't want to get the game initially because um, they were like, oh, it's only going to be in Japanese and then it's going to have the subtitles. They like being immersed and maybe like, you know, they also maybe they're dub only watchers. This is not a sub or dub debate. This is just me talking about game versatility. Uh, I don't care what you watch, sub or dubbed. I don't give a fuck. But um, the people were turned off by that because maybe I was like, yeah, you know, maybe they only watch the anime dub, so they are used to the dub voices. So hearing the sub only voices is going to be, you know, jarring. Uh, they'll feel less immersed in the storyline because it's in Japanese and they have to read the text boxes instead of just listening to the characters talk. I get it. Um, I didn't see it too much of a big deal, but I understand why people would be turned off by it. So it's one of those things that I was like, ah, bummer. And then One's Justice 2, no surprise, did the same thing. Only Japanese voice cast. But I guess people voiced their complaints, and I guess they heard because they're like, fuck it. So full English voice acting is available on One's Justice 2. I don't know if they did the same thing for One's Justice 1. I don't know if they're still supporting One's Justice 1. Um, one Justice 1 is not a good game. Just get the second one. Just get One Justice 2. Do not get the first one. Because I keep saying it, especially the more I play One's Justice 2, it is such a huge, drastic, gigantic leap from what the first game was. And it still has a long way to go. Don't get me wrong, to be considered like this fucking fantastic top-notch game. But it is a solid game. And this is what you want from a sequel. You, I, I was like, oh, it's going to be the same thing with a few more characters. It has a good chunk more characters. Like, a lot. It added a lot of more people to it. Um, with more DLC on the way. Uh, it improved the battle system, adding little features and mechanics to help balance it out more. And help make you actually think more critically during a fight. Uh, it's still not perfectly balanced, but you get the thing. There's a lot of variety to it. They actually improved on the game instead of just making another sequel for money. So, I, I appreciate that. And I've been talking about this game for a while, even though it's on quick news. But I really appreciate the game. And if you get the chance to try it out for free, or if it, it's discounted, you know, for like 20 30 bucks, I say go for it. Take the plunge. I think it's worth it. Um... So, yeah, there we go. So we're going to move on into the Yu Yu Retrospective for episode 22 of Yu Yu Hakusho Lamenting Beauty. We are 22 minutes in, and we're talking about Yu Yu 22. <laughs> so, this is the start of the final arc of Season 1, as I was talking about earlier. This is known as the Yukina Rescue Arc, or the Tarukade's Compound Tarukane Stronghold Arc. Whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. It's four episodes long. Um, and it pretty much introduces who will become the main villains of the next arc, and in fact, the longest arc of Yu Yu Hakusho, the Dark Tournament. That being, you know them, uh, you love one of them, not both, <laughs> the Tagoro Brothers. So, this arc starts off, uh, recapping Yusuke's adventure thus far. Not like a recap episode, but kind of like, you know, in the last time on Yu Yu Hakusho, they kind of talk about the other cases too. Yusuke got revived, he's a spirit detective now, he's been solving cases. And they talk about his latest case being completed along with his friends against the Saint Beast. So, 
it's exactly what I was talking about before. The Saint Beast art kind of had a sense of finat fin finality, finality. <laughs> it it gave a sense of like you were finishing a character, a step in a character's arc or a step in a character's growth. Because Yusuke definitely had a lot of growth. He still has a long way to go, but you could tell he's become a better person from it and become a stronger person from it, as well as the others. You get more insight into Hiei and Karama to get to know them a lot better. And Kuwabara is starting to develop and blossom more into more of the lovable self we, we, we enjoy from him throughout the rest of the series. But... The show really reflects on that by doing that recap because they're just like, look, he did this stuff against Rando and he did this and this and now they beat the Saint Beast. So it's 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 giving you that sense. So this is kind of like the cherry on top for these series of cases before we move into this fucking tournament arc. Uh, so Yusuke is late for school. His mom's yelling at him to get the fuck out and hurry up and go. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. He's not really caring. And his mom yeets his book bag at him, smacks him on the back of the head. Just going to show you, Yusuke is drastically more powerful than he was, especially against his mom. But he's still listening to what she says, so moms are scary, moms are invincible. Respect your mothers. <laughs> so Yusuke then pulls a big flex by jumping off the side of whatever floor his apartment building was on or whatever floor he was on at the time lands and just starts sprinting to class and uh he immediately notices notices he's being followed so we're just like oh are we getting right into it kind of gives you the sense are, are we getting right into the thick of it not quite but it is a good reason for why they did what they did for this scene so he's being followed, he notices, the dude, you know, cuts in front of him, Yusuke stops to get ready to face him, and it's Hiei. So Yusuke is like, oh shit, dude, what's up, what's up, Hiei? And um, he is like, here, Koema wanted me to give this to you, and Hiei gives uh, Yusuke a videotape. And Yusuke is a little confused by why Hiei is giving him the tape, rather than Botan, since Botan works under Koema. So it would seem, and she's supposed to be like the spirit detective's assistant. So it seems like it would be more of a her job than a Hiei job. And Hiei says nothing and just leaps. So we're already setting up Hiei, what Hiei is going to be doing in this arc. And we'll get to that as the episode progresses. This is actually a setup episode, essentially. Nothing really happens to push anything crazy for it, but it does set up a lot of angles. It sets up what Hiei will be doing this arc, what Yusuke and Kuwabara will be doing this arc, uh, who Yukina is, and who the Tagoro brothers are. So you get all that stuff at once in one episode, but they did a really good job pacing it. It didn't feel like it was just like trying to mash everything in. It was more of like, we're getting ready to lay some shit out for you, but they layer it really well. So shout out to Tagashi for being like the goat in storytelling. And shout out to, what is it, Studio Parrot? Who uh, did the anime episodes. Um, good job setting up this episode. Really fucking good. Really good setup for an episode. Because sometimes episodes like these that set up what's going to happen for an arc. Maybe go too fast through too many things. Don't talk about enough things. Take too long. Maybe drag. I feel like this one was really well paced. And that's not me being just a Yu Yu Hakusho fanboy. I noticed I was just like, they set up a lot of stuff within like the 20 minutes they had. 
and they set it up perfectly. So good job. So he dips. Yusuke gets to class or school, and he's talking to Kuwabara. Kuwabara seems to not want to be fucking bothered by this man after what went down with the Four Saint Beast. Kuwabara was ride or die for Yusuke during that whole arc. He gave up some of his own life force so that Yusuke could survive after he gave up most of his beating Suzaku. And they made it out. But Kuwabara wants no part in this nonsense anymore. And who could blame him? That shit was terrifying. Uh, he almost got killed by the same demon twice. <laughs> but he got that W though, my boy. <laughs> but, um... So he's like, you're Meshi, leave me the fuck alone, please. <laughs> so, Yusuke's like, come on, dude, I got this videotape. You trying to, I know you got a VCR, because uh, Yusuke is poor, and you got to understand, at this time back in the day, VCRs, at the time Yu Yu Hakusho was written, VCRs were, were, were quite the luxury. <laughs> so, you can tell how old the series is. Uh, or if they weren't, like, the luxury luxury, they're at the very least, like, you know, something you would have to be a little more well-off to have, at least, like, middle class. Yusuke's family is poor. <laughs> they only live where they live now because of insurance money. But, um... Kobar's like, oh, what is it? Like, a naughty tape? <laughs> so... After, at that point, uh, Keiko shows up, and she's like, Yo, Yusuke, what you, what you got there, buddy? <laughs> and uh, Yusuke's like, Ah, oh, nah, nah, what you talking about? You crazy, girl. What you doing, though? You wilder. But uh, Keiko clearly sees the tape, and she has a very concerned look on her face because Yusuke's not telling her the truth. We flash back to when Keiko and Yusuke were talking after the whole events of the Saint Beast arc, and she's like, Look, dude. You gotta promise me, you, got, you gotta tell me what's going on. I worry about you. So he feels guilty, and of course, you know, he cares about her. He cares about Keiko, which is why he's trying to tell her. Boom, bitches. Uh, another reason why Yusuke cares about Keiko. But he tells her, he's like, hey, you know what? I got this tape from Spirit World. It's about, you know, my next big case. Uh, so there, how's that? You know, he, he's like, look, I did it. I told you. And Keiko's like, what's a spirit world? And Yusuke's really confused because he's like, I thought you said Botan told you about everything going on. And Keiko's like, yeah, no, Botan told me about you being an assistant to a detective at a detective agency. And she's like, oh, is spirit world the name of the detective agency? And Yusuke's like, yo, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> so they, they get to uh, Kuwabara's house later that day. And, uh... Yusuke's, Yusuke's chewing Botan out. He's like, yo, you couldn't think of a better reason or a better excuse? Uh, and I thought you told her everything. And Botan's like, look, dude, it's pretty much against the rules for me to just go around telling humans about the supernatural. We can't have them having proof that all this stuff exists and running around the world of the living telling other people that all this stuff exists. So they're going back and forth, and he's just like this and this. And it's cool. Bar's like, yo, for real, can y'all stop arguing in my house right now? You gonna piss my sister off. And then cool. Bar's like, yo, besides, Keiko should know about this stuff anyway. It'd probably keep her more out of danger. Maybe you should think about that, Yurameshi. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, oh, you guys are just ganging up on me now. Sorry, I took a bite of some fruit. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want the chewing to pick up on the mic. But, um... Then Kobar, you know, takes the opportunity to try to hit on Botan. Botan's like, oh, cool, great. <laughs> so, they pop the tape in. Oh, but before they pop the tape in, Kobar's like, look, regardless of what's on this tape, I'm not coming. I'm not getting involved. And Yusuke's like, dude, whatever. I don't care. Put the tape in. Little Kuwabara now. <laughs> uh, mm, he's about to get involved. So they pop the tape in. Come has this really elaborate, like, film intro. You know how, like, you turn on a movie and shows all that stuff. He has an ogre doing, like, the little lion's gate, like, <laughs> They're like, bro, for real. This nigga is <laughs> big cheesing. So the film starts. It's like a chair in a dark room with one light over the chair. And it spins around and we see Koenma. He's talking about Yusuke's next case. And even Kobara's like, yo, for real, Yusuke, you're meshing. This is who gives you your cases? This is where you get your job from? This baby? <laughs> and Yusuke's like, the last time I said that, or I mean the time I said that, Botan hit me for it. And Botan's like, well, that's probably why Koenma's doing it by videotape now. He's, he can't take the embarrassment. So he goes on speaking, and he also says, oh, and don't worry about, you know, people walking in. Unless you have high spiritual awareness, you won't be able to see this tape. It'll just be, like, annoying staticky fuzz to, to normal people. Uh, that is when uh, waifu of the year, waifu of all time, <laughs> uh, best girl Shizuru walks in. Shizuru Kuwabara, Kuwabara's older sister. And... She can see what's going on in the tape, but she stays silent. She's just kind of watching. She was bringing up their, their snacks for them. Uh, so the scene cuts over to like this big ass forest. And in the back, we see a big mansion, like a compound. And Koema's going over the details of the case. And he's like a lot of shady stuff with humans and demons in terms of dealings are going on. And... Uh, there's one specific demon who's captured in this big-ass compound. Her name is Yukina. So, what we know about Yukina is she is an ice apparition, and these ice apparitions cry these valuable pearls called Hiroseki Stones. So, uh, Hiroseki Stones are super fucking valuable. And, uh, my boy, uh, Tarukane wants the stones to, in fact, get richer. He's already rich, but, you know, money, 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 money. He's he's definitely an evil little bastard. So y Yukina's under tight lock and guard by these guys. So he can milk her for all she's worth. She literally cries him money. So <laughs> that's a bad situation going on. The moment Kuwabara sees Yukina, the very moment, like they, they show her face on screen, Kuwabara's in love. Kuwabara's in love with this girl. And just like that, it's like he never even gave a fuck about Botan in, in a romantic way at all. He's infatuated by her. And I don't know why Togashi gave Kuwabara a thing for blue-haired girls, because I've only really seen Kuwabara interested in girls with blue hair <laughs> throughout the entire series. Not this. I mean, there's not a lot of girls in Yu Yu Hakusho with blue hair, but it's still a fact factor to bring up. 
Like, Yukina appeared on screen and he was like, Botan who? Uh, head over heels, Ben. So, Koema's still going over to Case and all the details, and it used Case pretty much tasked with infiltrating the compound, uh, busting through all these demons and these human guards, and rescuing Yukina. It is of utmost importance, and we don't really get much detail into why, because Kulabara immediately sprints off. He's like, look, we gotta go. <laughs> uh, and that's when they notice Shizuru is in there. She's like, that's a weird tape. And they're just like, no, no, it's just TV fuzz. And she's like, for real? So we're not, we, we not going to sit here and act like that baby was just on screen? I apologize for all the awkward cuts today. I thought I had gotten news I had wanted. False alarm. False alarm. And my fork just fell. Woo! Great podcast, podcast this week, guys. Great podcast. Solid shit. But, um... Shizuru was like, so we're not going to act like we just didn't see that baby? on screen talking about you going into the fucking forest and Kubar's like scratch all that give us money for the bus we gotta go and he's like what a what a million do and she's and she's like Kubar, for a million you could take a bus to hawaii here's 50 bucks and she tosses him a coin bag and he sprints off having no fucking clue of where he's going so uh, Shizuru's just like, look, it's gonna take him a few hours before he realizes that he doesn't know what he's doing. So play that tape back. This shit was weird. It's interesting. Here, eat your snacks. So, it cuts, and while we're, we're cutting away, let me, uh, set up the other situations here in the episode. You know how I like to do with the retrospectives. So, down at Spirit World, Karama's like, oh, <laughs> so you, uh, you, get, you sent here to give him the tape. <laughs> Does he know what's going on? And Koma's like, mm, hopefully he doesn't. I mean, shit. <laughs> so, so that's happening. Uh, at the compound, Tarukane uh, has just arrived. And his butler, who looks, who a lot of people mentioned, looks like one of the characters in Hunter Hunter, one of the the hunt, one of the higher up hunters. He does, and that's because Tagashi. Uh, wrote Hunter Hunter as well. So I guess, you know, similar character designs come up a lot. Um, but <laughs> he's talking to his butler. He's like, you know, get ready. We're about to make this bread. And, you know, we're going to make this bitch cry because Yukina has not been crying. But Tarukane uh, is this short, disgusting, mutated thumb of a man. He's really short, fat, ugly. He is like what you expect corporate greed to look like. Uh, so kudos for Tagashi for making such a ugly, perfect design. But Tsurugane's like, look, it doesn't matter if she's cried yet, because she gonna cry now. I got you. So from the helicopter that uh, he pulls up on at the, the, the door of it before they walk down the steps, we see the silhouette of the Tagoro brothers. They come out into the light. And this is where we first see them ever. The leaders of the apparition gang, the Tagoro brothers. So initial introductions and appearances, you know, Tagoro's this tall dude wearing shades, a big old coat with like a shirt under, I think, or I think he's shirtless right now still too. Sometimes he has a shirt, sometimes he doesn't. But, um, just wearing this coat and some pants. And then on his shoulder, looking like a little leech or a monkey, 
is a uh, elder Tagoro. Uh, the first guy is younger Tagoro. Elder Tagoro, the older brother, is very fucking small in comparison. Small enough that he just hangs on the shoulder of his older brother. And he wears kind of like this black suit jacket, this black kind of dressy shirt kind of thing, black pants, black shoes. He's kind of dressed in all black. He has this long mess of like darkish gray hair and he looks very, very pale. They do not look like they should be brothers. They do not look related at all. Uh, you never know or learn the first names of the Tagoro brothers. They are just called the Tagoro brothers. And the elder Tagoro brother is known as Elder Tagoro. The younger Tagoro brother is not commonly known as Younger Tagoro. We just call him Tagoro because he's the more interesting character, the stronger character, the better character. And even though he's a villain, you can still kind of relate and sympathize with some of his uh, feelings. Elder Tagoro is a disgusting creature who everyone fucking hates. <laughs> but all that aside, we don't know them yet. So appearance wise, it's like this giant fucking dude in this midget on his shoulder. <laughs> So you're you're just you're just like oh okay so these guys are the villains, and you have to wonder what was going through people's minds. I don't think anyone you know reading the manga when it first was airing or watching the anime for the first time not knowing the whole story. I don't think anyone would really expect the Tagoro brothers to play as major of a role as they did in the series. Uh, the main Tagoro, the younger Tagoro, plays a major part in Yusuke's character development, not just for like this arc and you know the whole dark tournament but just his character in general Tagoro has this forever lasting impact on Yusuke's character and all the characters as a matter of fact his past directly ties into Genkai's so it was just fated to happen and you wouldn't expect that seeing him now like like initial Tagoro reveal he doesn't look like a main villain you know what I mean like later he does when they kind of define his design a lot more and also, I think, you know, once we hit season two of Yu Yu Hakusho, the animation budget, uh, they got a lot more money to, to do what they did. So Tagoro looks a lot more detailed and he seems more threatening. But I think he also seems more threatening because he plays a much more major character. I kind of feel that way about Hiei's look. I feel like his design was like slightly tweaked to look less sinister once he joins up, like during the Forsane Beast. I don't think he looked as evil or menacing in the face as he did when he's first introduced during like the three items like the three dark items case so it could be that factor too but he doesn't seem like a main villain at first glance he seems like a bad guy he's just like a big dude with glasses like kind of like a terminator looking dude with shades and you could tell he's big and strong that's how you could tell he was gonna do and then he has this little guy as and maybe you would expect Elder Tagoro to be a henchman, but Elder Tagoro also has a ma major impact throughout the story, too. Uh, everyone fucking hates him, first of all. There's not a single person that likes Elder Tagoro in story or outside of story. No one likes this man. Period. Uh, <laughs> uh, his design is real simple, too. Very, very basic. He looks like a 0% threat, even though he was the second strongest member of Team Tagoro. Yes, he was the second strongest. I don't want to hear anyone say Bui or Karazu could have beaten Elder Tagoro. I sincerely fucking doubt they could. I People like to downplay him because Kuwabara beat him, but it's just like people also like to downplay Kuwabara, and Kuwabara won because Tagoro 
Elder Tagoro estimated him, underestimated him, estimated him, underestimated him, and he got caught slipping. And even though he survived, he still got chin-checked by his older brother. Um, but, no, I don't want to hear any debate. Uh, I'm pretty sure Elder Tagoro would beat Karasu and Bui with relative ease. I don't think they could beat him in a one-on-one. -on -one. I, I just don't. I just don't. That's my personal opinion, though. We're not doing... We're not here for debates. But, um... He plays a major role throughout the Dark Tournament as this disgusting, sinister character. He's kind of like the opposite of Tagoro. While Tagoro is a villain, and yes, Tagoro is a villain, maybe we'll talk about that some more, too, why people th say Tagoro's not really a villain. He's a villain. He's a, f he's a fucking villain. He's done some terrible things, and he knows he's done them. Just because... You can have some sympathy towards him for what happened in his past. Does not make him a good person. He's still a bad guy. <laughs> but, uh... Elder Tagoro is kind of like the opposite. Like, where they're both bad guys, they've both done terrible things. Tagoro, younger Tagoro, had, like, this backstory that led to it. There were things that happened that led him down a darker path that he, at the end, chose, but he still chose. And he knew they were bad, and he was remorseful for them. Elder Tagoro is evil... For the sake of being evil. So it's just kind of like, ooh, uh, Major impact on Kuwabara as a character during the finals of the Dark Tournament. That was a great fight, uh, especially more emotionally wise. Like, it, it definitely impacted Kuwabara's character. And he shows up again in Chapter Black, like, you just can't kill this Cretan. In fact, Elder Tagoro didn't die, he's just trapped in an eternal plant illusion for all of eternity. Uh, shout out to my nigga Karama. <laughs> but, uh, so, but you wouldn't expect all of that from them just seeing them. They just seem like, oh, these are the villains to Sark. And that's how Yusuke and Kuwabara saw them. So now that I'm thinking about it, maybe Tagashi intended it to be that way. Maybe they weren't supposed to seem like they were going to be bigger villains than they originally looked like. Maybe he wanted them to look simple. Maybe he wanted them to look like... These characters aren't going to be, you know, here very long. This arc is short. It's like four episodes. So, you know, maybe, maybe they're not going to be that important. But they were. So maybe, maybe you did it on purpose. Maybe it's just me overthinking it. I don't think they look like that big of a threat initially. So they pull up. And I guess their name is heard in the, the you know, the underground of like, you know, humans knowing about the demon world and demons and shit like that and apparitions and all that. So they're they're pretty famous in terms of the underground of the Yu Yu Hakusho lore. So they they go up into the mansion. Meanwhile, Kuabara, uh, Yusuke, and Botan have pulled up. They just got they had to take the bus because none of them could drive. Uh, and then from the bus stop, they have to walk through the forest to get to the mansion. So now they're just like, oh great. Um, Kuwabara is hyped though. Kuwabara is like charging straight in. He is ready to meet Yukina. He he wants to see this girl. So he's cutting through, you know, with the power of love. Yusuke and Boats. Yusuke is not too hyped. He's just like, look at this out in the sticks. You know, the only old, the only people that are like living out here are hermits who just are weird and don't know how to talk to girls and shit like that. He's not hyped for it. Kuwabara is not hyped for the mission as much as he's just hyped to meet this girl. And Botan's there to help. <laughs> so, they've arrived. They're making their way there. Back to the Turukane's compound. 
they get to Yukina's room, and we're introduced to Yukina's character finally. We've seen her face, but we haven't really learned anything about her. She's sitting there, the birds are like sitting around her, they're all cute and nice. So she, she brings like a sense of calm, serene, caring nature, because birds just naturally approach her. And she's like, oh birds, I wish I could be like you, why do you hang out with me? You know, I can't get out of here, I'm not free, you guys are free to fly wherever you want. And she reaches out towards the window, and there's like this little seal or talisman on it, and it shocks her. So it's meant to repel demons, of course. They have her locked up so she can't escape. And uh, she's like, see, like, why are you guys just hanging around me? Because she's, she's nice. She's really nice. Yukina always bring a, brings a sense of calm to a group or to a scene because that's just kind of the person she is, which is funny because she's a nice apparition. So you think it'd be the opposite. You think she'd be cold kind of like he is but he gets a little heated when he hears about more details of the situation uh, as we're about to discuss um but yukina hears them approaching to rukine and some other people so she's like get out of here birds go 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 so she sits there and she gets a serious look stares at the wall and her powers start to activate and she ices over pretty much the whole room so Tarukine and his little butler have to wear like fit coats and hats because they don't want to be too cold and they're offered to they offered it to girl brothers coats and they're just like nah we're good fam and Tarugani explains the situation he's like no matter what kind of pain we inflict no matter you know what kind of torture we put her through she refuses to cry she just sits there and stares at the wall and Tagoro even tests it out he like throws a quick little sleight of hand and it like cuts her cheek and she bleeds she says nothing she doesn't even flinch I guess at this point she's kind of numb to the torture and she refuses to give them what they want. So now the Tagoro brothers are on the scene trying to, you know, look for a way to exploit any weakness she may have. And that's when the birds are like watching her from outside the window, just floating there, just looking at her. And she loses that composure she has. And she's like, get out of here. What are you doing? Go, 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 go. You'll be, you're not safe. Boom. That's when they take advantage hurting you and torturing you may not make you cry but we know what will so younger girl is like brother and elder girl stretches out his nasty little fingers and grabs the birds and ropes them in and he's clutching them really tight between his grotesque stretchy little hand limbs and yukina's trying to stop him and to younger girl backhands the shit out of her and knocks her over and then elder girl squeezes the birds to death so they're both dead. And that's when Yukina starts crying. She's in tears. Because she's such a kind, caring person. Like I said, it attracts a lot of things to her, like nature and stuff like that. And Kuwabara, of course, is fucking in love with her. And he only falls more in love with her once he meets her and sees her personality and sees her for who she is. So she has that natural sense to her. She even makes Hie like, oh, fuck, you know, my sister. Oh, it's cute. But that's also her weakness because she is a little too kind. So she's soft. So when Tagoro killed those birds, she couldn't do anything to protect them. She doesn't care what happens to her. She just wants other people around her to be safe. And that's what they immediately took advantage of. So she cries the pearls. Tarugane's happy as fuck. He's like, ah, uh, yeah. And then he starts talking mad shit. Tarugane is a disgusting person. So I don't feel bad for him for what happens by the end of this arc. He had it fucking coming. I even feel a little bad for Tagoro. Of course you have to by the end of the Dark Tournament. But I understand 
why he accepted the punishment, why he asked for the punishment he asked for at the end of it, at the Dark Tournament. Because he felt like he deserved it, and he did deserve it. But you can't help but feel for that guy, because he's such a sympathetic character. Tarugane is trash. Um, absolute trash. Fuck him. He can go die in a ditch. Uh, he goes as far as to say as, because Yukina's like, I'll do whatever you want, I don't care anymore. And then as she's sitting there crying on the floor, uh, Tarugane's just like, now pick yourself up and get cleaned up. <laughs> I like my things looking pretty. I was like, this asswipe. So he's walking out and he's like, yo, call the Black Black Club. We about to make this. He's on a good one. He's feeling himself. And as Yukina's left there crying, Tagoro's like, you know, hey, you should make this easier on yourself and just start practicing how to cry. Like, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. And that's younger Tagoro talking, not elder Tagoro. Younger Tagoro said, like, look, make this easier on yourself and just practice how to cry on cue. How fucked up is that? So... <laughs> That happened, and now we uh, gotta mention why Hiei is such a strong point in this case. Uh, Hiei is Yukina's brother. They are long-lost siblings. Yukina does not know that... She knows that she has a brother, or she learns of it later. Uh, I think during the Dark Tournament, she mainly brings up the fact that she heard that she has a brother, but she doesn't know it's Hiei. Hiei doesn't tell her. Hiei knows Yukina is his sister, but he doesn't tell her. He kind of keeps her at a distance. But um, the reason why Koema just wanted him to deliver the tape and not really dig into it is because he knows if Hiei finds out that his sister's been captured, he will go to that compound and murder every human on fucking sight, which is a no-no. He's still technically on probation. So he can't really be going, and also he can't really be going around killing humans, period. Like, he, he can't do that. He's not allowed to be doing that. So... They want to keep Hiei away from the situation before it escalates too high. Hiei knows already. So, Hiei is full sprint making his way to the compound right <laughs> as we speak to go save Yukina. So now we have that factor playing into the story. And I love that's how they kind of play it off as like, oh, Yusuke's being followed. Oh, it's just Hiei. Why is Hiei doing this? That's why Hiei was there. So, we get back to it. Kulabara, Yusuke, and Botan are still making their way through the forest to the compound. And the sensors and the cameras that Turugane has set up all around the area pick up on them. So they can see them on the cameras. So is like, alright, we'll just get, you know, the guards to take care of them. And the Tagoro brothers are just like, hey, wait, 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 wait. Turukane. let our gang handle this. So this is the first signs that the Tagoro brothers, mainly younger Tagoro showing interest in Yusuke, starts to flourish. They they hear about them. Next episode, you hear the Tagoro brothers. I think it's next episode. They talk about how they've heard about two human boys with incredible spirit energy. Those two human boys are Yusuke and Kuwabara. So they're they're like, let our dudes handle it. And Tarugan is like, you know what? Yeah, fine. Do what you want. Um, so they send one of their men out. He's dressed as a security guard. He looks like a normal human. And he's like, what are you guys doing out here? But before he shows up, Kuwabara senses him. He's like, something bad is coming. And the demon bo the demon compass Botan has on is going crazy as well. So they knew he was coming and they know he's an enemy. But he's disguised as a human currently. So they're going to try to play it off, play it cool, get around him. They're like, he's like, what are you guys doing out here? What are a couple of kids like you doing out in the middle of the woods? 
right now? What what's going on? And they're just like, oh, we got lost. Do you want to? <laughs> hey, how about you bring us to your boss? And he's like, I don't know about all that. He's like, hey, come on. He has plenty of space in that big old compound and this and that. And he's just like, if y'all lost, how you know about all that? <laughs> and they're just, oop and ah, oop. <laughs> He's like, all right, it's too late to run now. And he reveals his true self. He breaks out of the skin in the suit. And he's this really gross demon. He's like this green thing, all giant. And he has tentacles instead of legs. And his mouth is like this, kind of like, you know how when you zoom in on a fly and they have those big lip tunnel things? He has that. And he has them on his fingers. And then the palm of his hands are like mouths and then his chest is a mouth. It's fucking disgusting. <laughs> and, um... He's like, I have a problem with touching people. I always seem to kill them when I do this and that. And then Kuwabara's like, Kuwabara and Yusuke are like, dude. Well, Yusuke, I was like, yo, Yusuke, that's a low-key racist. <laughs> Yusuke, they, because they're after Yukina, so he know, so they all know Yukina's in the in the mansion. So Yusuke, Kuwabara's like, how can you stand by when one of your own kind is being tortured by a human? And Yusuke's like, yeah, dude, <laughs> aren't you guys, like, cousins or something? I was like, yo, bro, you can't just be saying that shit. <laughs> but the dude's like, bro, like, I give a fuck, the demon guy. I forget his name. He has a name, but who cares? He's about to die in, like, 20 seconds. <laughs> but uh, he goes along the lines of saying, he's like, there's several stories throughout history of humans giving their souls to the devil for power. Who says a demon can't do it either? And he just starts laughing maniacally. And then Yusuke and Kuwabara get pissed off. And they this is why I wanted more cases with just Yusuke and Kuwabara, how I would have enjoyed that. Their banter, they feed off of each other's energy so well. They're just talking shit back and forth. They're just like, alright, let's kick his ass. So Homeboy feels disrespected and he jumps up to attack. And Kuwabara's like, you ready? And Yusuke's like, Psh. Bruh, what you mean? So Kuwabara activates his spirit sword, jumps up, slices homeboy twice, lands, <laughs> lands, lands perfectly down. And afterwards, you can see that Kuwabara has definitely been training. He's not a master swordsman in any sense of the word, but he was fast enough to slice this man's like arms off, like his sides, like split him into three without the demon even realizing it so he shook and while he shook he's descending slowly splitting into pieces descending down towards yusuke who fires off a big ass spear gun and disintegrates him boom done we already got through the first obstacle so like i said this episode was mainly set up but we do get a piece of action right at the end and it's to give you like a sense of anticipation or a sense of like Okay, things are about to go down from this point on, which it does. We get fight after fight after fight for the next three episodes from this arc. And UCA's like, oh, look, I thought they were going to make things, you know, simple for us, Cool Bar. And Cool Bar's like, yeah, they're dead ass. So, the next two episodes of Yu Yu Show, I call the Big Flex because Yusuke and Kuwabara do not struggle for the next two episodes. You might say they struggle a little bit here and there with the demon triad, but not really since they beat all three of them in a single episode. <laughs> so next episode, it's Yusuke and Kuwabara versus 
the horde of demon guards around Tarukane's mansion, plus Tarukane's minefield and all that shit. That's the episode I was talking about where they come out of the explosion unfazed and unscathed and then just flexing their energy in this orb looking dead ass just straight serious <laughs> and i love that scene so i'm thinking maybe next week i want to do like a wu retrospective just to talk about these next two episodes because i feel like episode 23 and episode 24 are kind of underrated just because People only remember this arc mainly because this introduces the Tagoro brothers and Kuabara's love interest, Yukina. But these two episodes of them just wrecking house is like, I just wish, like if there's one thing I could wish for Yu Hakusho, I don't usually wish for things to change with Yu Hakusho, even the way it ended. This is like, leave it history as it is. We don't really need to change it. Leave history as it is. But deep down, one thing I really would have loved from the series is more cases even if it was just in the beginning and then once the dark tournament leads to the chapter black and so on and so forth that's it but even if beforehand let's say let's say before tagoro reveals that he's still around at the end of this arc leading into the dark tournament let's say we have a couple more cases after the yukina rescue i just wanted more of yusuke and kuwabara because i really love their their teamwork and their dynamic and just their banter they're good friends and it's always fun to see them do stuff together. It's funny as fuck. Because uh, <laughs> next episode, oh my god. I, I It's so many scenes of them just killing shit, bro. I, I love it. So I think we'll do a double retrospective of episodes 23 and 24. Um, but we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Uh, we talked about that episode a lot. Like I said, I'm planning on doing retrospectives as their own like videos once I start doing YouTube videos soon, just to take up less time. But that was the retrospective, so we're gonna move into the final thing we're talking about, which is gonna be the main topic, that being, is Goku a bad father? No, I don't think he is. <laughs> so like I was talking about earlier, there's always been the memes of, uh, oh, Goku, you know, doesn't raise his kids. Uh, Piccolo is actually Goku's real, or Gohan's real dad. Da 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 da. Jokes aside, if you really look at the series, that's just not the case. And we can break that down just by going through arc by arc and seeing all the moments that Goku really did stuff because he cared about his child and the sacrifices he made because he cared about his child. And also just situations in general where. He wasn't there, not because he didn't care about Gohan or later Goten, but because he there was shit that needed to be done to keep the world and the universe safe, thus keeping them safe as well. Um, so there's a lot of things you gotta look at and a lot of angles you gotta take it from. You can't just make the joke of like, uh, Goku left his son in the care of Piccolo, Piccolo's his dad, or you know, Goku died and didn't come back and just stayed in Otherworld for seven years because he didn't want to be around his kids, which is not why he did that. Um, oh, Goku, da-da-da-da this, Goku, yada 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 that. It's just not the case. And also, his kids don't blame him <laughs> for anything. No one is just like, damn, Dad, you ain't, you ain't never around for me, Pops. Like, So, I don't know why everyone else is. But um, we're going to go ahead and break it down. 
So, starting from the Sand Saga, the very beginning of Dragon Ball Z. Gohan, I believe, is like four or five years old at the start of Dragon Ball Z, something around that age. I think he was four at the start of DBZ. Which is crazy, dude. Gohan was thrusted into action at the age of four. He was fighting Nappa and Vegeta at five. <laughs> like, that's... That poor child. But <laughs> no wonder Chi-Chi was so worried. Y'all niggas be on Chi-Chi. That's a five-year-old, bro. <laughs> but, uh... Anywho, anywho, anywho. <laughs> Goku has stayed at home with his wife and his son throughout this whole situation. They got married and had a kid. Dragon Ball Z takes you know, however old Gohan is. I, I'm gonna say four. I believe he was four at the start of DBZ. So it's four years later after the end of Dragon Ball. Goku and Chi-Chi had gotten married, and then shortly after they had to go on. So probably like five years, because, you know, Chi-Chi had to be pregnant. But, um, pregnant. <laughs> but, uh, that whole time, Goku was home. So that means Gohan and Goku already have a bond as father and son, because Goku's been there raising his son for the early years of his life. And Goku was training from home. And arguably, I would say, let's say... Sans never showed up. Let's say none of this crazy shit happened and Earth was just chilling as Earth. Uh, Goku would probably still be training to get stronger, getting stronger, doing this and that, but still be home, raising his kid. So he still could have trained and raised his kid. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, aren't you degrading your own argument saying that, oh, he could have stayed home and trained his kid regardless, so why did he need to go leave to go train and not be around his kids? Well, that's because the situations and the opportunities he got for training and the focus of why a lot of the time throughout Dragon Ball Z, they were mostly fucking training. So we're going to get into that. I'm saying without all those factors happening, without all the great threats happening, without all the situations he was set up in happening, if Earth just stayed Earth and none of that shit happened, Goku would have trained and stayed home. So it's not like Goku is intentionally trying to not be around his children. That is definitely not the case. You can tell he cares about his son and his safety, and he loves him. He brings him around the homies, you know, Bulma, Master Roshi, Krillin. So it's like a big old reunion. Then Raditz shows up, kidnaps Gohan. We know that story. First of all, Goku goes as far as teaming up with his greatest rival at the time, being Piccolo Jr., who is the son and reincarnation of the Demon King Piccolo. It's weird shit. Weird shit, bro. <laughs> but they had to they both knew they had to team up to take this greater threat down or else their rivalry was the least of their problems. And also Goku's son just got kidnapped and Raditz is threatening all of Earth. Raditz at that time, we always clown Raditz for being, you know, weak as shit, but Raditz at that time, no one on Earth was strong enough to stop Raditz. If Piccolo and Goku had failed to defeat Raditz at that point in time and both died, Raditz could have killed everyone on the fucking planet. No problem. He could have destroyed the world. Unchecked. Who's going to stop him? At that point, Dr. Jiro hadn't done his evil android shit yet because he didn't have the cells collected. For even starting up Cell, really. He he would have finessed him, too. There is nothing that could have been done to stop Raditz from destroying the planet at that point in time. So, 
Raditz was definitely the biggest threat they had ever faced in the series thus far. And this is the start of the Z portion. So they getting beat the fuck up. And I just want to mention the final scene, the finale, uh, the full Nelson special beam cannon combination. <laughs> uh, Piccolo tried the special beam cannon once before on Raditz and it missed. The problem is the special beam cannon takes too fucking long to charge up and fire. So it's easier to dodge. You kind of have to be have the enemy set in a position where they can't really move or escape to be pierced by the attack. The attack does just pierce through shit though. It just stabs through it. It's kind of hard to stop, which makes it really cool. The Mankaku Senpa. <laughs> but uh, the second time when Piccolo fires it, Goku holds Raditz down in like this kind of lock and Raditz can't break free of it. And without hesitation, Goku did this. And without hesitation, Goku was like, Piccolo, fire, do it, do it. Like, Goku gave no fucks about his own well-being at that point. He was like, this is the only way we're going to stop him. Just fire it. Just fire it. I know you'll kill me too. It's okay. Just fire it. Just fire it off. And you can say it's like, oh, because, you know, they can wish him back with the Dragon Balls. And true, Goku hadn't died yet, so he could have been wished back with Earth's Dragon Balls at that time in Dragon Ball Z. He still had to die, though. That shit probably hurt. Just because you can be wished back from death doesn't necessarily mean you want to experience death. People always bring that, like, oh, yeah, they shouldn't even be scared of dying because they can just be wished back. Dying still hurts, I'm pretty sure. So, <laughs> I don't think anyone is just like, eh, yeah, you'll wish me back. Like... <laughs> Piccolo fires it, pierces through both of them, kills them. Goku, first time, first time. Notice that I'm saying first time. <laughs> Goku's first time giving his life to save his child. But Goku's a bad dad. Okay. 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 So Goku trains in Otherworld for that year. Not to mention that Goku's not the one that told them not to revive him right away, but it was Kami in them. Because Kami was like, Goku's going to train in Otherworld to get ready to fight these new Saiyans. Everyone else is going to train. You should all get cracking. You guys got one year before these guys pull up. Your only hope. They knew Goku needed to get the training in Otherworld so he could be as strong as possible to fight the incoming threat. Which he did. So Goku pulls up a year later. He is late for the party. And that is partially King Kai's fault. He And King Kai admits like, oh fuck, dude, you should have been left. Go, 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 get the fuck out of here. So... Through all of that, Goku's late on arrival against the Battle with the Sands. And because of that, during the skirmishes between the Cybermen and the fight against the mighty Nappa, Yamcha dies by getting blown up by a Cyberman in a suicide attack. Uh, Chaozu dies trying to blow up Nappa in a suicide attempt. Um, Tien dies giving the last of his very energy, everything he had in one final tri-beam cannon on Nappa, and that didn't work. So... And then Piccolo died, shielding Gohan. Not to say that Gohan and Piccolo don't share a bond. I'm just saying Piccolo is not Gohan's dad. It, it's just, that's a different discussion. But, you know, and then Piccolo died. So Krillin and Gohan are the only two people left. And Nappa is just about to finish off Gohan. Krillin's on the ground hurt. Can't really do much of anything else. Vegeta is still standing there, hasn't even fought, unscathed. So even if by the grace of God... Krillin and Gohan managed to get past Nappa, Vegeta would have completely obliterated them. 
no issues whatsoever. <laughs> and what does Goku do? He pulls up and saves Gohan. After, you know, a fight with Nappa, uh, Vegeta realizes that Nappa has no chance and that he needs to tag out and let him handle it. So Nappa's like, meh. And Nappa's pride's a little bruised. He's, he's, his feelings are hurt by this. So he tries to go and finish off Gohan and Krillin because he can. He's like, fine, I'll just kill these guys. And again, Goku saves his son's life. And Krillin's, I might add. Son and best friend. That's a two for it. That's a combo breaker right there. Kaioken's Nappa in the back and just cripples him into a lump of just flesh and bone on the ground. Nappa got embarrassed. R.I.P. Nappa. Nappa got a hell of embarrassed towards the end of his life. He got... He was, like, owning the battlefield before Goku pulled up. Like, they got a couple of lucky shots and some good hits in on him. But he was owning the battlefield before Goku showed up. Niggas were dying. Left it. Nappa killed three of them. <laughs> like... The start of the fight with Nappa, he chopped Tien's arm off. He karate chopped Tien. Like, think about how big of a flex that was. Just to, like, chop someone's arm off with just pure brute strength. Just disgusting. <laughs> and Goku comes in and embarrasses this man. So I can understand why he was just like, Well, fuck you, I'm gonna kill this little short bald guy and this kid. And he just gets lumped out. And Vegeta doesn't even help him in the end. He just eats him and kills him. <laughs> just side note. Poor Nappa. I mean, fuck Nappa, but poor Nappa. <laughs> so, Vegeta and Goku do their whole fight. We all know how that story goes. The great ape thing. Go on and Krillin pull up to help. And then the spirit bomb is thrown by Krillin. Vegeta jumps over and it comes straight towards Gohan. Goku believes in his son. And he's like, look, man. You're just such a pure-hearted and good person, Gohan. You can bounce that spirit bomb back. That's to hurt evil, not to hurt good. Deflect that bitch. And Gohan deflects that bitch. Not to mention, can we can we keep bringing up the fact that Goku has like a sense of telepathy and telekinesis? Um, what? And it's brought up a couple of times, but it's like it's such an afterthought. Like Jesus Christ. Um, bounces the spirit ball back, hits Vegeta. So Faith and his son wins the day. Vegeta lives. And then Goku sees the tail on Gohan. He's like, oh shit, Gohan, that Blitz Wave move. Hey, Gohan, look at the move real quick, bro. <laughs> so Go Gohan transforms into an ape. We have that whole situation. Nothing really showing if Go Goku's a good dad or not. But even still, I just thought it was funny how he was like, hey, hey, my son, roll over real fast. Hey, good nigga. <laughs> so they're all in the hospital. Crippled and beaten after the battle with Vegeta. Vegeta gets away. Uh, Goku Sam Pride wants him alive so they can have a rematch, a fair and square one-on-one. -on -one, uh, which they still truly haven't gotten. I mean, Majin Vegeta versus Goku, but that fight really didn't end. Goku got knocked out by Vegeta, but his guard was down. And Goku was holding back. Uh, just want to add. And Vegeta got an unfair power boost. Just want to add. <laughs> so just saying. Just saying. <laughs> So they go to Namek. Krillin, Bulma, and Gohan go to Namek because they heal up first. Goku Goku was fucking mangled at the end of the battle with Vegeta because he got literally squeezed by a giant ape. His bones were shattered. Gets him a sensu bean. 
he immediately pulls off to go. On the way, he's training the whole time, increasing his power level drastically again. And what happens when Goku pulls up to the scene? I just want you guys to, to think about this. Goku is the type of character who we all know loves the thrill of battle, especially this was portrayed throughout Z. His Saiyan side was becoming more meshed with his own personality. Goku's always been like this goofy, fun-loving, kind of hillbilly dude, but he's also a fighting genius. And throughout Dragon Ball Z, we see that he does have a craving for battle because he's a part of the Saiyan warrior race. But Goku cares about his loved ones. Goku cares about his friends and his family. So when Goku pulls up on Namek, he can already sense that shit is going down, and he immediately uh, goes straight over to help his friends against the Ginyu Force. Raccoon, pretty much doing what Nappa was doing, wreaking havoc on the battlefield. Goldo was the Cyberman, definitely, of this part of the story. He got owned real quick. Uh, he, he... Fucking... Dude, he fucking planted Vegeta in the earth. In, in the Namek soil. <laughs> he kicked Krillin so hard that it broke every bone in his body. And that's not me exaggerating. Krillin says every bone... Like, I think all my bones are broken, Gohan. He says that. Raccoon broke Gohan's neck. <laughs> like, Gohan is like five or almost six, maybe. I want to say. I think he's around five-ish at this point in the series. He broke Gohan's neck. Gohan was about to die. And who pulled up? My nigga Goku. And he gave zero fucks about Raccoon. He immediately was like, my son and my best friend are in danger, and Vegeta. Um, I need to help them. So he, his first thought is like, hey son, you know, hey Krillin, I'm here, everything's gonna be okay. He gives him some sense of beings to help heal them up. And Raccoon's like, hey my nigga, you ignoring me, bro, who, who the fuck are you? Like, who, who do you think you is? Like, and Raccoon's getting ready to do his ultimate move. Uh, the move we all, all the games just make like a giant explosive wave because we will never know exactly what Raccoon Ultra Fighting Bomber was exactly. <laughs> but before he can pop it off fully, Goku one-shots this man, just elbow to the gut, and knocks him out. One-hit KO. Excuse me. You gotta keep in mind, Raccoon was taking all sorts of damage. Vegeta was hurling damage at him. Gohan tried to rage out on him. Krillin, I think, hit him so... Krillin hit him while he was doing the Raccoon Eraser Gun and made the blast blow up in his mouth and fucked up his teeth. And Raccoon was still standing perfectly fine. He was like, nah, man, I can still throw down. And Goku just sh hits this dude once in the stomach. And the fight is over. <laughs> and he didn't even care who Raccoon was. He was just like, bro, stop. I'm busy. And... And I love the way DBZ Abridged does it. Like, he he's ignoring Raccoon and talking to his, his Gohan and Krillin. And Raccoon's still talking in the background. He's like, sir! And he one-shots him. I am talking to my friends. <laughs> love DBZ Abridged. Shout out Team 4-Star. They're still doing a lot of cool shit. You should check it out. Um, but, boom, just goes to show you again. And then there's the fight 
with Birder and Jace, where he embarrasses Birder and Jace, where Go Vegeta's really jealous of him. Goku and Ginyu switch their bodies, da 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 blah blah blah. Um, Gohan knows that's clearly not his dad because he's not acting like his dad. So Gohan knows his dad well enough to know that's not his fucking dad. Krillin has known Gohan or Goku longer than Go <laughs> Gohan has known Goku, and Gohan's the one that figured out that that was someone else and not his father and not Krillin, who is Goku's best friend. I got mad love for Krillin. Krillin is one of my favorite characters in Dragon Ball Z. Gohan, Piccolo, and Krillin are definitely my favorite characters in Dragon Ball Z. I love them to death. But Krillin, man, come on. That's supposed to be your best homie for, like, years. Y'all grew up together. How did you not know that wasn't him? But, <laughs> but then there's that. Then we got the whole stuff with Frieza going on. So Goku pulls up after recuperating. Then the whole Frieza fight. Goku goes Super Saiyan after watching Krillin die. So, oh yeah, through that whole portion of the, the saga, the ongoing saga on Namek, while Goku is recuperating, he's not with Gohan. But that's because he's healing <laughs> from all the shit that just happened, so he can't really be with his son right now. And then when he wakes up and pulls up, he can't really continue to just be talking with his son at that point, because he has to fight Frieza. <laughs> Then they think they've won, Frieza lived, you know, Piccolo took a death beam to the chest for Gohan and Goku, and then Krillin got blown up. Goku goes Super Saiyan, he's like, Gohan, take Piccolo, get the fuck out of here right now. I can't control my temper, I'm about to go berserk. So Gohan bails out, but then he comes back because he wants to help his dad. So Gohan clearly has a bond with his dad once again, he's like, I'm gonna help my dad fight Frieza, fuck you. Uh, even though he would have been little to no help. Uh, and then they all get teleported off the planet. Because uh, due to Goku saying, wish everyone off the planet except for me and Frieza. Because Goku does have a lot of selfish pride. He wanted to finish the fight. He wanted to fight Frieza at his best and win. Which he did though. <laughs> so it's not like he played himself. Frieza went 100% and played himself. Because Goku fucking demolished him in the end. And people like to say, Frieza at 100% would have won, but this and this and this. No, he wouldn't have. No, he wouldn't have. <laughs> because we saw it didn't fucking happen. Goku was throwing them gut shots on Frieza, grabbing him and slapping him around. He made Frieza his bitch. There's a reason. I feel like people forget why Frieza hates Goku so much. Goku embarrassed this man. Like, he hates Vegeta because Vegeta is a traitor. Vegeta's attitude, of course, clashes with Frieza's attitude. But Goku is so pure-hearted and kind and gentle, which is also disgusting to Frieza. And it's also the fact that Goku embarrassed this man. Goku turned into a Super Saiyan, the thing Frieza feared the most, which is why he blew up planet Vegeta. He wanted to get rid of all the Saiyans. The few Saiyans that were left... He kept closely under his control, and they were kept at bay, so they didn't really increase in power level drastically over time. So he could keep them in check, and if they did get too strong, or if it was going to look like they were getting too strong, he could just kill them off whenever he felt like, and be done with it. And then this sand that grew up on Earth, in this span of time learning about his heritage, became the one thing he tried to stop. So... <laughs> 
Frieza's just like, oh my god. Shit was embarrassing. My man. And he, then he got cut in half by his own attack. Um, so there's there's all of that shit. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. So Goku did that out of pride, but also he needed to beat Frieza. And why is the trash man here again? Maybe that wasn't the trash man the first time. It's whatever. It's whatever. But um, it's thought that Goku died with the planet, but he didn't. He managed to escape. And then people always bring this up too. Goku rather train than come back to Earth and be with his family. I mean, yeah. Oops, sorry. But he was only gone for like maybe like a year. And also, yeah, he trained. He got healed up and recuperated by the Yardrats, and then he learned instant transmission from them. So it's not like, oh, dude, I could have went straight home to Earth. The space pod he stole landed on Yardrat, which makes me think, were the Ginyu Force gonna go to Yardrat and kill all the Yardrats? That would have sucked for them. Glad that didn't happen. But anywho. Oh my god, the Ginyu Force would have murdered them. Jesus Christ. But, uh... He learns instant transmission from them. And he eventually comes back home. I, don't, I think it was no longer than like a year. Maybe a little over a year that he was gone. People always bring up, well, what about the Namekian Dragon Balls? They use them twice, so it had to be like two years. No, no, no. Because on Namek, they have a much shorter year. They mention that. Their year is a lot shorter, so I think within a Earth year, it's like maybe one or two Namek years, maybe even more, because I th they use the Dragon Balls twice, and I think after that, and then the remainder of time left in between is the rest of the time of Go Goku is gone, and then Mecha Frieza and King Cole showed up, which leads to Trunks showing up. I think that's what it was. I, I would have to go back and look, but Namekian years are a lot shorter than Earth years, so their Dragon Balls are covered faster. But, um... He was, and he also couldn't have been gone that long, because by the Cell games, Gohan is like 11 or 12. So at that point, Gohan had to be at least 6 or 7. So it had to be like a year or a year and a half. Because you got like the, the three years of training with the androids and then the year in the time chamber. So if he was like 11 or 12, so he had to be at least like 6 or 7 by the time Goku comes back. So Goku comes back. We get the whole thing with Trunks as well, destroying Mecha Frieza, warning him about the future timeline. So then they have to train. It's not like Goku is choosing the train instead of chilling at home with his son. They are directly warned of a world-ending threat. And Goku is also directly warned of a critical virus that he catches that kills him. He doesn't even get to fight. So they have to train and Goku has to take this medication to make sure he's okay. Because he gets a heart virus. So Goku trains three years, but Goku doesn't train by himself for three years. Goku doesn't go to King Kai's place and trains for three years. He trains on Earth with Piccolo and who else? Gohan. That means for three years, Goku was with Gohan. Piccolo was there too. They were all training. But Goku was with Gohan, training with his son, probably raising his son, teaching him things. Gohan got to be with his dad for a good solid three years. <laughs> they, and it's not like they're like, oh, well, they were training that whole time. Well, they had to fucking train. They had shit to do. They're not gonna train when they just learn that a world ending threat shows up three years from now and they weren't strong enough to stop it and Goku didn't even get to pull up and <laughs> throw hands. Like, what do you mean? Of course they're training. 
So then Goku gets the heart virus because he wasn't taking his medicine as often as he should have. But he'll be fine. But he's out of commission for a long, long time during this arc. So again, Goku can't be around his son. But that's because Goku is sick. Are we really about to fault Goku for being sick? This nigga ain't raised his kids. He's dying. <laughs> what do you mean? So Goku recuperates and... You know, he's been able to sense what's going on in the arrival of Cell and the threat Cell brings. So then he has an idea. He's like, we don't have a lot of time to train up and get stronger to fight Cell. But what if we did? And that was the time chamber, something that was shown in Dragon Ball that is now being used in Dragon Ball Z. I believe it was shown in Dragon Ball. I had to go back and watch Dragon Ball 2, but I believe they first mentioned it in Dragon Ball. So Goku references that idea. He's like, oh shit, we could use that. And you can get... A year of training in one day because the time chambers or I think it's called in in the viz in the translation like in the manga in the actual like Japanese it's called the room of spirit and time in the dub it's called the hyperbolic time chamber we'll just stick with hyperbolic time chamber because that's what most people know it as and that's still what I call it I use a lot of dub terms still like I'll call mr. Satan Hercule still just because that's what I grew up with so I'm, so I'm more used to saying that but um the hyperbolic time chamber, time flows differently in there. So spending a whole year in there is only one day in the normal world outside of it. So they're like, okay, we could get a whole year's worth of nothing but training. 365 days of just wake up, eat, train, you know, eat, sleep, train, day by day by day, back to back to back to back. So he invites Vegeta along and he's like, only two people can go in at a time though. I'm going to go in with Gohan. He chose to go in with Gohan. He could have been like, come on, Vegeta, you and I will go, and I guess Trunks and Gohan could go, if he really didn't care that much. He chose Gohan. He wanted to go in with his son. He is like, I want to train with my son. I want to train with my child. Because he also, he mainly sees the true potential of Gohan while they're training in the time chamber. But he's also known, and everyone's known, that Gohan has this hidden potential and this hidden power that's been hinted at, hinted at throughout the series. So there's that reason, and it's his child. He's like, I want to go in with my fucking son. So you have to go in with your son, Vegeta. So Vegeta goes in first with Trunks. They come out. They do their thing. Vegeta fumbles the bag. <laughs> um, after after he was about to win the game, after he was... Vegeta blew a 3-0 lead. <laughs> Vegeta blew a 3-0 lead. <laughs> he was like, I'll let you get your points in. And then he fumbled the bag. <laughs> Poor, I love Vegeta. Poor Vegeta. Vegeta's character development. Mwah. Vegeta's actions throughout the series. My guy. <laughs> Trunks fumbled the bag because he thought he was big cheesing. He thought he was stronger than his dad. And he went into that really buff form. But it was too slow. And Vegeta already knew about that shit too. That's why he didn't try to do that old bullshit. He was like, you thought you were stronger than Pops. You not though. You not. <laughs> but Gohan and Goku come out of the time chamber, and they're just like completely different fucking people. Gohan is growing taller. He's buff. At this point, Gohan is 11 years old. Or 12. At most, he's 12. I think he's 11 at this point. Because he goes to high school after the Boo arc. So it's like a seven, or during, the, like, that leads into the Boo arc after the seven year time skip between beating Cell and then like the arrival of Boo and Great Saiyan Man and stuff. 
So he would have to be enrolling in high school during his last year or like his like junior year or something like that. Cause he, cause at that point he would be like 17 to 18 years old. So if he was like 11, he would be 18. So he might've even been 10 during the cell games. You gotta really factor a lot of shit in when you think about this. But he was still really young when he fought Cell. Which is which is why a lot of people, like a lot of Dragon Ball Z YouTubers and stuff like Geekdom, especially, they hate the term of calling the Gohan from the Cell game portion of Dragon Ball Z Teen Gohan, because he was not a teenager yet. He was still like between the ages of 10 to 12 at that point. I don't remember the exact age. But he wasn't a teenager yet, technically. Technically, the Gohan we see in the Boo Saga is Teen Gohan. He's not quite an adult yet, but he's almost there. He's he's Teen Gohan. He's like in his late his later teens. He's at least 17, maybe 18 years old. So that's why people. That's why a lot of like Dragon Ball Z like enthusiasts. There's a population of them that do not like the term for Cell Games Gohan being Teen Gohan because he's not Teen Gohan. What would you call him instead? I wouldn't call him Kid Gohan, because I would count Kid Gohan as everything before the Time Chamber. He's still kind of young and inexperienced. But after the Time Chamber, um... What would I call him? Maybe like, I wouldn't want to call him Preteen Gohan either. I feel like that sounds kind of lame. I don't know. Refined Gohan, stronger. It's, he's not a teenager though. That's the point. But they come out and they are like different people. They're like in their Super Saiyan forms and they're able to maintain their Super Saiyan forms. And it's like they're not even flexing their power. And they and they have a week before the Cell Games and Goku and Go and everyone's like, okay, we gotta train up. And Goku and Gohan are like, Goku's like, nah, we're not gonna train, we're gonna chill. Goku's like, it's important to relax. We've been training for like a year straight. Me and Gohan are gonna kick it. So for a whole week, Gohan and Goku do nothing but relax. Ooh, sirens driving by. They do nothing but relax while maintaining their Super Saiyan forms because that's a part of the training regimen they did in their year together in the time chamber. And throughout this whole portion of the story, Goku even goes to Korin and flexes out his power. A Korin's like, I don't know if that's enough to beat Cell. So it's starting to slowly already be hinted at even before the Cell games and Goku fighting Cell that Goku's not strong enough to beat Cell. It's already kind of being hinted at. Corrin's like, oh, mm, that's that's a lot of power you got there. I don't know if it's enough to beat Cell. And even during the battle with Cell, like Goku versus Cell, where Goku's like flexing out his full power and, you know, Cell's impressed by it too. And everyone's just watching in awe. Gohan seems so unimpressed by Goku's full power. Like, if you look at Gohan, he's not really saying much, and he's just kind of standing there looking. And then there's the whole scene with the instant Kamiyamiha, the warping Kamiyamiha, whatever you want to call it. I think warp Kamiyamiha sounds fucking dope. Uh, when that doesn't work, because for some reason, no one told Goku Cell could regenerate? What? Who the fuck? <laughs> like, you... The thing that irks me about that scene so much is, like... Imagine if somebody just, imagine if Goku just, instead of aiming it in that upward angle, just fired it straight forward. The Kamiyamiha. He could have maybe destroyed Cell entirely. Who knows? Maybe he wouldn't have, maybe he would have, but he only blew off his top half. 
Imagine if you did that shit on Frieza. Frieza would be gonzo, which is legs. That'd be disgusting. But, um, Cell, Cell heals, and Goku burnt out all his energy doing that attack. He goes for that uh, rapid key blast barrage. That doesn't do it. You know, that was his last desperate attempt. And then he gives up, much to everyone's surprise. And then they're just like, all right, well, who's going to go? <laughs> and it's like, Gohan's going to step up and beat you. And everybody's like, Gohan? <laughs> what do you mean, Gohan? And Piccolo's like, hey, my nigga, you need to ch ch chill, chill, chill. <laughs> and, and then uh, leading up to that, Go Goku's like, yo, Gohan, how you feel about me when I went full power? And Gohan was like, honestly, I was like, is that it? <laughs> I don't know if people remember that, but Gohan was like, like I said, Gohan was not impressed by Goku's full power during the Cell games. He was like, is he still holding back? Or like Gohan thought his dad was holding back when his dad was going all out. Gohan, Goku really tried his fucking best to beat Cell and he couldn't get the job done. So he's like, Look, I've seen Gohan, I've seen his potential when we were training, he can beat Cell. Now, let's move on to the dick move of uh, Goku giving Cell a Sensu Beam. Yes, he in fact did do this. Do I think it was stupid? Yeah, kind of. Do I get where- not even kind of, yeah, no, it was fucking stupid. But do I get why he did it? Yes. He wanted Cell to be at- Cell, he wanted Cell to be at his best because he wanted Cell to be able to push Gohan to Gohan's best. He's confident in his son that his son could claim victory, but he also wanted his son to be pushed to the limit. He wanted his son to bring out that true power because Gohan was limited, was limiting himself in his full power because Gohan is such a kind-hearted person. Gohan has this hybrid potential that Saiyan Earthling hybrids have. All this energy and all this power that we see time and time again when he gets mad and rages out but him him himself normally goku or gohan is not a fighting type of person he doesn't like fighting everyone's like chi chi's the one that made him a wimp and want to be a scholar but gohan wanted that gohan wanted to be a scholar gohan liked education gohan didn't like fighting gohan didn't like hurting people gohan's always been that kind of kid he's always been very pure and gentle and we only see him really get violent when he's upset by something. And that's the only time we've ever seen him like rage out and flex and power. And then we see another side of Gohan once he goes Super Saiyan 2, which is his arrogant Saiyan side that we see when he goes Super Saiyan 2 and we see an Ultimate Gohan, which ultimately be become his downfall in different ways. So that's another character flaw that Gohan should work on. And it kind of is worked on in Dragon Ball Super, but I feel like they could have done more with Gohan during the Tournament of Power arc. Hopefully later, Gohan does more stuff and we kind of see him grow as a character more. But if not, uh, oh well. But, anywho. I, I see why he did it, because his reasoning was he wanted Gohan to be pushed to his best to show that power. He wanted to show everyone that Gohan is the strongest among them at that point. He wanted to prove it. Was it a dumb idea giving Cell a sense of being to fully recover? Oh, absolutely. But it's Goku. <laughs> so he's an idiot. But I get where he was coming from. 
And he even worried for his son where when at first it wasn't looking like he was going to get the job done. He was like, oh, fuck, maybe I did make a mistake. It wasn't like he was being an asshole about it the whole time. He, was, he did start to second guess himself. And then the Cell Juniors came out and they were torturing people. And Gohan was at the mercy of it. And 16 gives that speech right before Cell crushes his head. And that was just a push Gohan needed to awaken his power. So in a sense, Goku was right. I'm not going to give Goku full credit for that. Definitely not. 16 was definitely major to Gohan's trigger to Super Saiyan 2. But Goku knew he had the potential in him, which is why he had faith in his child. Goku had faith in his son, which is why he did what he did. And seeing 16 die, I think everyone felt bad for 16 when he died. Because even though we didn't know him for too long and he didn't do a lot of fights or have a lot of action throughout Dragon Ball Z for the portion he was in, 16 just seemed like a nice dude even though he was all machine. He was programmed to kill Goku, that was just his mission, he's all robot, he can't really help that. But even Goku was like, oh hey, and he's like, my mission is to kill you. <laughs> and he never got that chance. But he loved nature, he loved the birds, the butterflies, the trees, he hated when the birds got scared away from violent conflict and fighting and he was like look gohan i get it you don't want to fight you love the world you love life he was like even though cell's such this disgusting vile person he doesn't you don't want to kill him because that's just how nice you are but you have to make sacrifices there's some things that you have to protect that call for action that call for you to step forward and fight to keep them safe. You want to be peaceful and live in nature, but you have to fight for peace, which is true, which is true even now with the situation going on in the world, just saying, just dropping that out there, just dropping that out there. But <laughs> those words really strike Gohan's core. And when Cell curb stops and kills 16 completely, and 16 pretty much doesn't have a soul because he's all machine essentially. So, I don't think 16 goes to the other world when he dies because he's he's all machine he's just a robot so they don't really have souls i would say people would argue well, we'll both 17 and 18 17 and 18 are cyborgs they were humans that got enhanced by mechanical parts they're technically not androids they're cyborgs so they do in fact have souls does cell have a soul um he's like bioengineered so maybe I know in Dragon Ball Z during the Boo arc, when, when they're in hell and stuff especially, it shows him in hell, but that's like not Toriyama's depiction of what hell looks like. Those were like filler episodes and scenes added to the anime. We see what Toriyama's depiction of hell actually is in the revival of F movie and the revival of F saga in Dragon Ball S Super, where everyone kind of has like their own personal hell essentially. And Frieza's was being in that beautiful meadow, that beautiful field, hanging from a cocoon in a tree while like stuffed toys and fairies and bears like danced and sung happy songs all day for all of eternity and he couldn't move. It was, he hates happy, nice, good shit. So that was his hell. So if Cell was in hell, let's say he did have a soul, he'd probably have his own personal hell. What that would be, I don't know. But it, it would definitely be befitting because Frieza's was, that shit was hilarious. I. I do enjoy Toriyama's depiction of hell a lot more than Dragon Ball Z's, like the, the, the filler anime scenes. I feel like it's more fitting for punishments. It fits the idea of like, or the motif of what hell should be. So I, I enjoyed that. 
And um, there's some things I don't really mesh with, with Toriyama's depictions of, like the depiction of the Bardock story and stuff. I do like the addition of how Brawly kinda, I like Brawly's storyline better in Dragon Ball Super Brawly. I do not like the depiction of Bardock in Dragon Ball Super Brawly. I think the Bardock special version of Bardock, like Bardock the father of Goku is a lot better. But getting off topic. Goku, Gohan goes Super Saiyan 2. Goku's like, see, I fucking told you. He finesses the Cell Juniors. He finesses Cell. He hits Cell so hard that he throws up Android 18 and reverts back. But Gohan is cocky. Gohan's never had this much power at his disposal for this long of a period. Usually when he rages out, it's just for a quick second. He attacks and then he calms down and that's it. He's in this form. He's in Super Saiyan 2 which arguably is the ideal Super Saiyan form before like we get to Super Saiyan Blue and Super Saiyan God related stuff. Because Super Saiyan 2 has like this huge power boost and this huge speed boost, but you seem to have a really great balance in terms of stamina and key, unlike Super Saiyan 3. But he's in this form for this long period of time. He's getting cocky. He has this ego and this attitude about him. And Goku's like, what are you doing, Gohan? Finish him off. And the kind, fun-natured, good-natured, good-hearted Gohan we see is not the Gohan we see at this point. Super Saiyan 2 Gohan is like, nah, this nigga deserves to suffer a little longer before I'm done. And that leads to Gohan's fuck-up, where Cell's like, fine, I'm gonna blow up the entire planet. And Gohan's like, fuck, I should've just, I should've just killed him. I should've just killed him like my dad said. It would've been done. Should've listened to your father. Um, so everyone's like, shit, what do we do? Cell's gonna blow himself up with everyone else. Cause Cell's a sore fucking loser. Um, he's like, I refuse to be beaten, especially by a child. I'm gonna blow up. I'm just gonna kill myself. But I'm killing everyone. And they, it's not like they can destroy him before he blows up, cause that's what Gohan was going to do. And Cell's like, uh-uh-uh. You hit me now, I'll just blow up automatically. So they only got like seconds left. And Goku's like, look, man, I fucked up. I made the mistake. I'm gonna try to fix it. Plane flying overhead. I don't know if you guys can hear that or not. But um, Goku says his goodbyes to his son. He says his goodbye to his friends. Instant trans transmissions over to Cell. Holds on to Cell and Cell's like, what are you doing? Teleports away, gives you know his final goodbye to his son. Gives his life for his son and the world a second time. Teleports to King Kai's planet, you could call that an asshole move. He didn't have anywhere else to teleport. It's either sacrifice the life, the lives of like billions of people, including his deepest, his closest friends, his family, or sacrifice the lives of himself, an evil bioengineered roach, uh, a cricket, a monkey, and King Kai. In King Kai's car, I guess. So I, I, I feel like he made the right choice. <laughs> So King, they all die on King Kai's planet. Gohan feels really bitter about it. Krillin, you know, is trying to cheer him up. He's like, your dad did this for you. You know, he gave his life for you. Like, and look, you helped save the world, man. Stand tall, you're a hero. Cell pulls up again. He survived the explosion. A lot of shit happens. Trunks is nearly fucking killed or just about killed. I think they kind of wish him back. Vegeta rages out, Gohan saves Vegeta at the cost of one of his arms, and Cell starts charging up what is known in uh, most video games, Dragon Ball games, as the Solar Kamehameha. 
And I believe they call it the Solar Kamehameha because in the manga, and I believe in the anime as well, but definitely in the manga, Cell at that point when he regenerated got a huge Zenkai boost. So he was almost at Super Saiyan 2 levels or just about Super Saiyan 2 levels when he comes back from self-destructing. So they call this Super Perfect Cell or just Cell Perfect or stuff like that in games and whatnot. But when he's charging up, he's like, I have enough power to destroy the whole solar system if I wanted to. So I think that's why they call that last Kamehameha he does the solar Kamehameha because he should have enough power to destroy the whole solar system. Uh, ridiculous shit. So Gohan's getting ready to try to clash with them, but Gohan doesn't feel like, oh my god, there's a lot of planes and shit and helicopters flying over right now. Gohan doesn't feel like he has what it takes at this point to beat Cell. He's not very confident in himself. Uh, he's like, this is my fault. You, we're all we're gonna fucking die because of me. And Goku is calling out to his son. Like, he's using King Kai. They're on Snake Way. Dead. They got their halos up. And he's communicating to Gohan through King Kai. Through the telepathy stuff. And he's like, Gohan, dude, what are you fucking doing? Bro, come on, step up. It's not over yet. You have the power to win. You can do this. And... People always, people always forget this. The father-son Kamehameha isn't just some cool super attack you can see on games. It was Goku's last, like, or supposed to be Goku's, like, parting words to his son. You know, like, this is going to be, like, my gift to you. Like, we're going to pull through this. I got your back. I believe in you. You can win. This isn't like Goku and Gohan teaming up for a final attack, putting their power in together. This was all Gohan, but Goku motivating him. Goku motivates his son. And Gohan, can we talk about how Gohan walked in Cell in that clash at the end? He was firing a Kamehameha with one hand, and he still vaporized Cell. People are like, well, that's because Cell, you know, got distracted by Vegeta, the damage. It's like Cell got distracted. And yeah, they kind of took advantage of a good opportunity, but Gohan was definitely stronger than Cell at that point. So, of course they're going to take advantage regardless. But, you know, shout out to Vegeta for the assist nonetheless. But Gohan, Goku pushes his son again to give it his all. Do your best. You can do this. I believe in you. I have faith in you. You know, the world's hanging in the balance. You got this, bro. You got this. He believed his in his son in life and in death and died for him because he was confident that he could succeed where he could not where goku couldn't and he did he beat cell so boom we got that passing of the torch sense that does get retconned over sort of in the boo saga but that's because toriyama there's a lot of reasons why people think this happened a lot of people say like he got death threats for writing off goku this and this and that that's not what happened it's mainly because toriyama liked the idea of Gohan living a normal life, especially in the manga where he was doing like, you know, like the the chapter cover art, like the panels, the, the titles, you know, when they introduce a, introduce a chapter in the manga and they show like some cool little artwork of the characters. And it was just Gohan, you know, riding his bike through the city to school or Gohan doing normal. He liked that idea of Gohan living a peaceful life, which is why Goku ends up getting written back into the story and Gohan is pulled back from being the main character because he liked Gohan just living a peaceful life. And I don't mind that, 
But you got to balance Gohan as a fighter and a, and a nerd if you're going to do both. Either one or the other, and if you're going to do both, you got to balance it right. Super almost has it. I just feel like they're not giving it enough to make Gohan that kind of character, but it, they could definitely do it. Go, Gohan could be kind of like the Superman-ish character, you know, with the gi under his little nerd outfit. He does that during the Moral arc at one point. It's just like not quite there yet. So hopefully they get there. But this point, they're wishing everyone back and they're trying to wish Goku back and Goku talks to them again. And he's like, hey man, because I forget who tells them, but they're like, dude, you're, you're like a fucking magnet for trouble. And Goku's like, you know what? You are absolutely fucking right. So when Goku tells them, he's like, don't wish me back. All this stuff, all these bad things happening over the course of these years through Dragon Ball Z um, have been because of me. Raditz showed up because of me, which led to Vegeta and Nappa showing up. And then we had to go to Namek and then the whole situation with Frieza. Then Frieza tried to pull up on Earth. Then the androids happened because Dr. Jiro wanted revenge against Goku because of the whole destruction of the Red Ribbon Army, which leads to his creation of Cell and this and this and that. He's like, this is all because of me. This is my fault. Like people keep attacking and doing all this crazy shit because of me. So I'm just gonna go ahead and stay dead and make sure you guys are living a peaceful life. And the reason why I wanted to do this for the podcast is because somebody brought this up in like a talk about Goku being a bad dad. And I said like, he, you know, he gave his life for his son twice. And then somebody was saying like, nah, man, he stayed dead so he could stay away from his wife and his son and train in other world. And I was like, that is not why he stayed dead. He says why he stays dead. They stated in the series and they kind of foreshadow it, uh, the idea of it because somebody brings up the fact that Goku is kind of a magnet for trouble. So Goku's like, you know what? You're right. Let me be, the, let me just stay dead this time. Don't bring me back. I want you guys to be okay. And yeah, he gets the benefit of training another world with all these fighters, but he still gave his life up so his family and friends and loved ones and all of that and Earth could be protected. So that's a very noble deed. I don't, like I've said, Goku's not like a heroic type of hero. He's just, he's just so happens to be a really strong guy that's a really kind-hearted good guy and allies with that the side of good. He's, he's not a hero in the sense of being a hero. He's not like, I'm going to go save the world and do all of this in heroics like All Might or Deku and stuff in My Hero Academia. His character is more like, he's a good guy because of his traits. He's not a hero in sense of like, I'm a hero. He's a hero because of his actions. That's what makes him a good guy. He is a selfish guy inherently in certain details about him. But he's still at the end of the day, and at the end of the day, a good person. So, you know, just saying, just saying, just saying. But, sorry, <laughs> I thought my phone was vibrating. But um, that's why he stays dead. And somebody even is like, so when I bring that up, that like he stayed dead for the good of the his everyone, people are like. Well, in the other timeline, he died of a virus and the androids attacked to destroy the world. So, I mean, they kind of need him there. It was kind of was a selfish thing. I'm like, first of all, that's a stupid, minute point. <laughs> like, that's such a 
that's a bad the reason why that's a bad take is he's taking it from the point of view of someone who outside of the story who knows what's going to happen next we know about the boo saga being people who have watched the series the series is old but at that point in story in terms of goku's character and everyone else in the story they didn't know that stuff was going to happen and they lived in seven years of relative peace that was the longest time period of peace in Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> like, so, Goku didn't know that. Goku can't predict the future. So in his head at that time, that was definitely the correct action. And it's not the best decision in the world, but it's a decision that came out of good intentions and a kind heart. So to say Goku's a bad father after all of the stuff that he's done for not only his son, but for his friends and the sake of the world and how he's always believed in his child and stuck with him and how his son always has faith in him and cares about his dad and in a way looks up to his dad and how are you gonna say goku's a bad dad after all of that i don't i don't get it and the situations where he's not around a lot of the time it's because of what's going on in the, that portion of the story and then of course we have the boo saga where the last thing i want to mention uh uh well there's there is goten goten had to be conceived before the cell games or else how else did Chi Chi have Goten? And it's definitely Goku's kid. They have the same fucking hairstyle. There's no way they're not the... Goku's not the dad. But, um... And Goten, I believe, is seven at the time of the Boo Saga starting. So, yeah, it had to be, like, before the Cell games. Maybe before the... They didn't have enough time before the Time Chamber. He immediately dipped. It had to be that week before the Cell games. But, um... <laughs> uh, Goten immediately latches to his dad the moment he meets him he's like oh my god <laughs> you're my pops and goku's like yo hey like like they're immediately cool and it's not like goku that was out of goku's control G goku was dead and he chose to stay dead for the sake of everyone else so that was a touching moment when you know he gets to come back for a day and sees everyone and he's like oh my god gohan look at you all grown up ah and it's kind of sucked that gohan stopped training but that's you know gohan's personal problem and situation and then eventually Goku comes back, but then, you know, he's there for his son. He's he's angry and upset that they think Gohan is dead. And then he's excited to find out later when he goes back to Otherworld and senses that Gohan is actually alive on Supreme Kai's planet. He's like, holy shit, Gohan. And then he gets to watch Gohan train and become ultimate Gohan, essentially. And, you know, all that stuff goes down. So the whole thing with Goten, I'm like, come on, man. How are you going to fault Goku for that, really? And then he lives at home throughout Dragon Ball Z and Super. Like, he does go to train, but if you're... We'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> um, and then with Gohan, uh, we kind of have this crossing of... Uh, where Gohan's about to go back to Earth to go help everyone while Super Buu is wreaking havoc. And uh, Goku's like, look, man, I know I haven't always been there for you. And I haven't been the best dad I could have. But I just want you to know, I am proud of you. This, like, he 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 knows he's not the best dad. He, Goku knows that he hasn't always been around. But Gohan understands. Gohan's like, dude, it's fine. I get it. Like, they have this bond of, like, Gohan understands why his dad took the actions he took. He does not fault Goku for the actions he took because they were necessary actions for the situations going on. So again, how is Goku a bad father? 
the only people that say that are people who like buy into the meme too much people outside of the story when in story he's seen as a good person a selfish person but a good person and then in Dragon Ball Super, they kind of fuck with his personality a lot. Like, oh, damn, Goku, you're not that great of a dad. He's like, I wasn't around when Goten was born. <laughs> but, I mean, you were dead. I think he said he wasn't around when Gohan was born. I don't remember that, but of course he wasn't around when Goten was born. He was dead. What the fuck is he supposed to do? <laughs> and that was an asshole move of him. But the thing I do want to say about Super is Toriyama wasn't the main person writing it, so it does affect kind of how certain characters are written. I think Vegeta was the best character in Super. If we're talking about characters, purely just the character and the growth, Vegeta was hands down the best character in Dragon Ball Super. Vegeta had the best growth and development out of anyone. I loved Vegeta in Super. I didn't hate Vegeta in Z or GT. I was just kind of cool with him. He's always He was always kind of like, no, Vegeta's cool. But in Super, I really liked Vegeta. I really, that's one thing, that's, one strong positive I can take away from Super. Super is whatever to me. It's not the greatest series. It's not awful either to me. But I think one good aspect they did do was Vegeta's character. I loved it. Um, but yeah, there is certain writing aspects that are changed since Toriyama's not the main person at the helm penning the story. Especially with Torotaro. Torotaro being involved too. His apprentice, you know, his protege, his next coming. <laughs> uh but uh yeah no so there's there's of course going to be different things involved with that writing to make him seem a little more goofy and childish but that's always kind of been goku i think people forget that goku's always been that way and the situations that happened in z were always so serious and so critical we never got a lot of those kind of moments from his character because it was always like we got to do this we got to do this dragon ball z was a lot more like on to the next fight kind of thing which is why they were always training or always fighting and they're always training in super too but there's a lot more moments of them just living their daily lives in between arcs and i feel like we get to see more of goku's character and it's not the best written goku but it is still in essence who goku is as a person so people saying all that i i kind of fault him for that too Goku shows pride in Gohan before the tournament of power when they have their match and he's like Gohan you'll be team captain and they kind of dropped the ball with the idea of Go Gohan being the uh universe 7 team captain but still that I like that fight in in that part of the story because it meant a lot for Gohan and Goku so I enjoyed it and he was like I've been looking for you know strong opponents all the time and there was one right in front of me and I wasn't even paying attention that being Gohan so Again, to end it all off after saying all of this, the point I'm trying to make is, while Goku, and Goku himself knows this, is not the best dad in the world, he's definitely not. Uh, I feel like the best dads in Dragon Ball Z are Krillin and Vegeta. Uh, Krillin, I feel like maybe Vegeta is best dad? Krillin is best family man. Because <laughs> um, Krillin and 18 are, the most adorable couple in all of Dragon Ball. I love them to death. But, um, he's Goku's not the best dad. But Goku is far from being a terrible father. We see moments throughout Dragon Ball Z, especially the main portion of it all, where Goku goes in to protect his son, where Goku gave his life for his son, where Goku believed in his son. He motivated his son. He, he was always there. And Gohan always had this... Gohan always loved Goku. 
There was never a moment where Gohan showed resentment towards his dad, his father, because there was no resentment to be made or to to be had. That's the proper term. No resentment to be had. Uh, he always looked up to him. Gohan, Goku was there for him through the first four or five years of his life. They trained together for, you know, the androids and in the time chamber for a year one on one. Like Goku was a good dad to his son. He cared about his son and his son loved him deeply for it. So I don't really understand why people really tend to think Goku is a bad dad. He's not. He's just not at the end of the day. And I guess I'll end it off by saying, hey, you know, that's just my opinion. But I feel really strongly about this opinion. It's just like, I don't think he is. If we're really, really talking about it, he's not a bad dad. He's not a great dad. I think he's a good dad. He's a solid dad. He's an okay dad. He cares. And it's shown several times that he does, in fact, care. So, to fault him for certain situations that happened in Dragon Ball Z that were vastly out of his control several times, you know, like the whole thing on a lot of the stuff that happened on Namek, the heart virus, um, the fact that they always had to keep training because the next threat was coming. Um, his choice to stay dead for the good of everyone else, especially his son too. The father-son Kamiyamiha moment. Like, to fault him when all this stuff happened, I feel is kind of shitty. And I'll end it with this. Imagine, this is a hypothetical, so don't take it too serious and don't question it. Imagine a man, or imagine your father, died for you twice. Hypothetical, hypothetical. Of course that can't happen in real life. Imagine if your father died for you twice, gave his life for you to, oh shit, hold on. All right, let me finish what I was saying really quick um, before I uh, make this last announcement. Imagine if your father died for you twice, gave his life for you, and the good of like, let's say a bunch of other people, two times. Let's just say that's in the realm of possibility. Imagine if that happened and people all around were just tossing your dad's name through the mud like, man, that nigga was an awful fucking dad. Like, fuck that guy. This and that. Think about that. Because that's what you guys are kind of doing to Goku. I just want to say, and I know Goku's a fictional character. This is me bringing it to a hypothetical sense. Like, think about if somebody was saying that about your dad and you're like, that's not true. <laughs> like, that's not at all true. Like, fuck you guys. That's just what I wanted to say. Uh, I was gonna go a little deeper into it, but uh, I know you guys heard my phone vibrating and I left that in. I didn't cut it out and say, or me saying, hold on, hold on. Uh, because I just got a call from the landlord of the place and it looks like we got it, my niggas. So I will in fact be moving. Will this affect the podcast and its scheduling uh, in between move? moving i don't think it will if it does then maybe no episode next week but i was already planning on doing a double retrospective anyway so that'll just kind of fit that idea more but that's all i pretty much had to say for goku and then we ended off with some great fucking news so boom boom uh i'm really 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 hyped right now uh super excited so i just let you know my uh roommates know that uh, we did in fact get the place and we're gonna be meeting up or planning a date to meet up to finish everything up, do the whole deposit and uh, sign the rental agreement, finalize everything and then we'll 
start moving. But um, that's it. So maybe by next week or maybe not next week. I don't know how long it'll take. It shouldn't take too long. But I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. If there isn't an episode next week, that's because uh, moving is just taking priority. But if not next week, then the week after we'll be back. And by then I should be in a new space. Uh, the place is in, the place is still within where range of where I live. It's so it's not going to be like, oh, I'm moving cities or states or anything like that. So it shouldn't take too long, but I'll keep you guys posted. Goku's not a bad dad. Hope you enjoyed me talking about that for like 40 fucking minutes. Hope you enjoyed this longer podcast. Uh, I'll catch you guys next week. If not next week, the week after we will be doing two Yu Yu Hakusho retrospectives for episodes 23 and 24. So I hope you guys are hyped for that. Uh, hope you guys are hyped for me moving. I'm in a brand new space. Uh, I'm fucking hyped. All right. You guys have a good Friday. You guys have a good weekend and I'll catch you later. Bye. Move this man. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Oh, man. 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 Pose man, 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 pose man